My name is Jonathan Romig. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, if you're a guest, I also want to extend a warm welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that we can form a friendship with you and, and get to know you and that you'll become a part of our church body. Let's begin with a, a prayer. Father God, we approach your word humbly. We approach your, wo- your word in awe of you and ready to hear from you whatever you want to tell us this morning, Lord. Soften our hearts to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been hurt by a lie? Have you ever been lied to? Someone maybe lied behind your back, maybe a family member or a a co-worker. And that lie, that deceit, really stung. It really hurt. Now, I grew up in a, what I would describe as a Christian bubble. So I uh, grew up in a pastor's house, household. I was homeschooled. Most of my friends were Christians. So I can't say that I have a lot of examples of people lying to me and deceiving me and hurting me in that way. Maybe some of you have grown up in similar circumstances but have a different story, but this is, this is my story. So I didn't have uh, many experiences where people lied to, but when I was a teenage boy, I experienced the pain of being lied to. We used to have a homeschooling class at our house, uh, similar to the Friends of Grace, where people would gather at our house and we would learn together. And at, this, at, at our house, two girls came. And I soon discovered that these two girls were absolutely enamored with me. <laughs> they loved to laugh at all of my jokes. I would speak to them and they couldn't stop smiling and flirting. And this made sense. I was a cool and confident homeschooled boy. Until one day, I found out that they were just pretending to flirt with me. They were acting because apparently they didn't like it that I flirted with one of them and then the other. This lie crushed me. It was, it was just, just destroyed me. What? I'm not that cool? And looking back, it's kind of a funny story. But lies hurt us. No matter what stage of life you're in, when you're lied to, when you're deceived, lies hurt us. They, they cause us pain. We're lied to in our careers. Maybe you have a, a co-worker or a boss who steals your ideas and takes credit for them. Maybe you have a family member who you've done all sorts of nice things for and they turn their back on you and try to take even more advantage of you. Maybe you have neighbors who don't treat you very well. So the question is, how are we, as Christians, how are we to respond when people lie to us, when people hurt us with their lies? See, the world says, get back at them. Deceive them. Stab them in the back. 
That'll make it better. But God tells us to do something differently. God, God tells us to do this differently, to do something different. To respond in a different manner. And we see that response in Psalm 120. I don't think this is going to be necessarily the response that you expect. That we just roll over. But I think it's going to be a response that God teaches us in His Word about how to respond when people lie to us. So let's read Psalm 120. This is from the NIV. I call on the Lord in my distress, and He answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will He do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. When people lie to us, when they hurt us, how are we to respond? Well, when people lie, pilgrims pray. When people lie, pilgrims pray. Now this psalm, this poem, is a pilgrim's song. It's a song of ascent. Maybe you see that right there at the beginning in the intro where it says, a song of ascents. Now the Jewish calendar is filled with holidays. And at these holidays, the, the people of Israel would journey, they would pilgr- make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And an ascent is that picture that they would have of you know, maybe going into Jerusalem and going up to the Temple Mount, to the, to the courtyards of the temple. And so they would begin to sing these songs as maybe they, they, they started off on their trip or as they actually got into Jerusalem and as they walked in the processionals up to the Temple Mount. And uh, these psalms range from Psalm 120 to 134. They're 15 psalms of ascents. In fact, Jesus would have sung these psalms as a boy when he went to Jerusalem and as a man when he went to Jerusalem for the final time. And so we get a picture in Psalm 122, verses 1 through 2, of sort of what these psalms are all about. It's a good verse that describes these psalms of ascent. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. These poems are about going to Jerusalem. So you would expect that the first one of these psalms would be a kind of a happy psalm, an excited psalm, like a road trip song. Like we're going to Jerusalem. We're going on our trip. But the very first psalm in this series is a sad complaint. It's a psalm of lament. So why is that? Why is the very first psalm of ascent a a sad song, a lament? Well, have you ever been so hurt that you needed to just go on a hike or a walk or a run? Uh, I can think of one experience in my life where uh, this was the case of many experiences, but, uh, but one in particular that sticks out. Now, some of you are in the military, 
uh, different branches of the military, and that's wonderful. Uh, but what you might not know is that I actually tried out for the military. I tried to join the Marine Corps. Uh, it's probably a good thing I didn't get in. So when I w- tried to get into the Marine Corps, I went down to the military entrance processing station called MEPS. And at MEPS, the truth came out. See, I had listened to some others who had encouraged me to just kind of leave some stuff off my medical forms, to not put the whole truth on there. And I bought into that lie, and that lie became my own until the Holy Spirit so convicted me that I told the head doctor, he got a little frustrated with me. And I was so hurt and so frustrated by that lie that I drove home in the snow that day and I ran three miles as fast as I could. It was the fastest I ever ran three miles on a Nordic trek. (laughs) It was kind of an angry run on a Nordic trek. It looked probably very silly. We do something similar. We need to get that stress out, that anger, that hurt, that frustration from, from just life. The pilgrims traveled to the sanctuary looking for peace. They, they traveled to the sanctuary looking to get that stress out, that hurt out. You know, we come to the sanctuary looking to do the same thing. We all come here on a Sunday morning with different motives, but I hope sometimes at least you come here looking to encounter God's presence to forget about some of those hurts, those lies, those disappointments. So what does our opening verse, verse 1, tell us about how pilgrims respond to life's hurts, especially lies? I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. When people lie, pilgrims pray. When people lie, pilgrims pray. Verse 1 says, I called to Yahweh in my distress, and he answered me. A pilgrim is anyone Anyone who uh, commits their life to Christ and follows after Jesus, who walks with Jesus through life's ups and downs. Pilgrim is a disciple. A pilgrim is anyone who realizes they can't deliver themselves. They can't rescue themselves. Verse 2 says, save me, rescue me. We realize that we can't save ourselves from life's anxieties and hurts, life's pains. And we realize that life is really a pilgrimage, all of life. It's a pilgrimage home. It's a pilgrimage to our eternal home, whether you believe in Christ or not. But for those that do trust Christ, it's a pilgrimage to a really wonderful home, to an awesome home, to our heavenly home. So what is the content of the prayer? We're kind of setting up the prayer in verse 1. So in verses 2 through 7, we actually see the content of the prayer. What the psalmist prays about all the hurt and the lies, the deceit. When people lie, pilgrims pray. What do they pray for? Pilgrims pray for God's justice. Pilgrims pray for God's justice. Verses 2 through 4. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior sharp arrow and with burning coals of the broom tree. Pilgrims pray for God's justice. Now a better translation of save me in verse 2 is rescue my soul. Now, the word for soul is actually not translated in most modern English translations. I don't know why this is. It's in the NASB. Um, The Hebrew word is nephesh, and it's put in there. We usually just ignore it. I don't know why. 
Uh, but nephesh means soul or life or throat. Rescue my throat, O God. And the word for save is a type of snatching away. So what we get is an image of like a, 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 an animal, a wild animal, maybe a fox or a coyote. And it has a, a small animal in its jaws holding it by the neck. And that's sometimes how we feel when we're trapped by lies and deceit. We're like that little animal praying to God, rescue me, snatch me out of the jaws of those that hurt me. And so we pray for salvation and we pray for justice. We pray for justice. Now, notice that the punishment matches the crime. So that those who have hurt us are judged by God fairly. How do I know this? Because it talks about a deceitful tongue. That's the, that's the, the wrong thing that someone has done against me. They, they've lied to me. Kind of like arrows have come out of my, their mouth. And how does God, God judge them? Verse 4, with warrior sharp arrows. God is the warrior. It's his sharp arrows that judge those that lie. In fact, the scripture compares uh, kind of the words that come out of our mouth as sharp arrows, as deadly arrows. Psalm 64.3 says, They sharpen their tongues like sword and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. And that's how lies feel. They feel like deadly arrows, deceit, hurt. They stab us. They wound us. And yet God's judgment against those things is perfectly fair. God judges with sharp arrows that are holy, burning coals of the broom tree. Psalm 18.8, smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. You don't want to experience God's judgment when he's angry because God is holy and he can't stand lies or liars. And so we pray that, that those that hurt us, that those that have deceived us, that have lied against, it, against us, that, that they would be judged fairly by God. In fact, we almost pray that, Lord, I want to be honest with you. I want to be open with you. Hurt them like they have hurt me. Praying that God would judge our enemies is actually a thoroughly biblical concept. Usually we'd go right to, to mercy, Lord, just forgive them. But if we look at Scripture, we see many examples of people in the Bible that pray God's judgment against those that hurt them, that deceive them. That made fun of them. In 1 Samuel, Hannah is chastised by her husband's second wife for not having sons. And when God gives Hannah a boy, Samuel, Hannah prays judgment against those that hurt her. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. And if you want to see a clear example of someone praying bad things against those that have done them wrong, that has done the people of God wrong, look at Psalm 109. This is a psalm of David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. But I want you to listen. As I'm going to read Psalm 109, verses 4 through 15, and you just kind of hear how David prays about those that have hurt him wrongly about those that have attacked him and accused him. We know that King Saul attacked King David wrongly before he was king. 
tried to, tried to kill him. And we know that David's own son, Absalom, tried to steal the throne from David. And instead of responding in vengeance, David responds in prayer. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. It's verse 4. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Now here is where David begins to pray judgment upon those that have done him wrong. Verse 6, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their names from the earth. Why don't we pray that when corporate worship? (laughs) If David can pray these types of prayers, it's okay for us to pray them too. And that doesn't mean that everything we pray is perfectly right. We're not going to pray perfectly. Only Christ prayed perfectly. That's okay. The key is that we're not taking justice into our own hands. We're not taking vengeance into our hands saying, I'm going to do something wrong to them. Instead, we're saying, Lord, here's what they have done wrong to me and here's some ideas. (laughs) We are placing justice in God's hands. We pray to get all this anger and all this hurt, the bitterness that we store up outside. And I can't say that I've gone through a life experience where you know, someone has wronged me that incredibly. I've prayed prayers like this. But some of you may have, been, have gone through life experiences where someone really hurt you unfairly. The Scripture gives you permission to be honest with God. 1 John 3.15 says, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. How do we balance this with that? It's because we're giving our hate to God. We're saying, God, I am not strong enough to bear all this resentment, all this bitterness, all this hurt, all this deception, but you are big enough. And I know that you are big enough, big enough because of the cross. Because on the cross... Through your son Christ Jesus, you bore the burden of our sin. Christ is big enough to handle our worst prayers. Pilgrims pray for God's justice. It's a good thing to pray for God's justice. But notice that the Scripture doesn't leave us just praying for that. Why do we pray for God's justice? We pray so that we can one day Pray for God's peace so that we can move from a place of resentment, giving that all to God, and move to a place of happiness, of joy, 
of peace. Pilgrims pray for God's justice, but pilgrims pray for God's peace. Verses 5 through 7. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Now the pilgrim, the one going up to Jerusalem, symbolically feels like he's an alien in a far-off land among God's enemies. So Meshech and Kedar. Meshech is in the far north, kind of by uh, Turkey. And Kedar was in the southeast by the Syro-Arabian Desert. So that's like modern-day Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia. So there's this great distance. And uh, throughout the story of the Bible, we learn that these two regions are really not only geographically different than Israel, but they're also spiritually different. They're considered the enemies of Israel uh, because of descendants. So if you go back in the lines of, of uh, the story of Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, we remember Abraham, Father Abraham, and he had uh, two sons, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac is through who we get uh, the nation of Israel, but through Ishmael we get Meshech and Kedar. And the sons of Ishmael are always kind of considered the enemies of Israel. In fact, Meshech for those of you that really know your Bibles, is a subordinate of Gog. So Gog is considered a prince of Meshech. Gog really symbolizes that whole enemy nation state uh, that's an enemy of God, just everything that's uh, anti-God, anti-Christ. And so the pilgrims would have felt, you know, maybe the pilgrims actually weren't in one of these foreign lands, but, but it was a symbolism saying, you know, yes, I might be among, among uh, fellow people that call themselves Israelites, and yet I feel like I'm among an alien land because what people have done to me. And then these pilgrims would have begun to pray as they, they headed to Jerusalem. Maybe some of them actually were outside of uh, kind of Israel, and so they were uh, the diaspora Jews, and they would have begun to pray. They would have begun to pray this psalm, as they headed home to their home region. And and in fact, the New Testament believers may have uh, prayed this psalm um, as a reminder that they're not home either, that they are are aliens uh, of this world, that our citizenship is in heaven. We pray for peace today because bitterness makes us feel far away from God. You see, God, I don't want to be far away from you. I don't, want to, I don't want to feel as if I'm in a foreign country. I want to be at home with you. I want to be at peace with you, God, in this life, not just the next, but in this life as well. Pilgrims pray for God's peace. Pilgrims pray that God would help us let it go. We pray that God would help us let it go. Verses 6 through 7 say, Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I listened to a message on Psalm 120 by Sinclair Ferguson this week. Uh, He helped me prepare, and he is a Scottish theologian, an excellent preacher. Uh, I encourage you to listen to him. He has a great voice. Uh, And he helped me pick out a transition that I don't think I would have noticed otherwise between verses 4 and 5 that the tone, the focus of the psalm shifts. It shifts from wanting vengeance on those that have done us wrong to just wanting peace, to wanting shalom. Verse 6 literally says, I am peace. The NIV says, I am a man of peace, but it literally says, I am peace, or I am shalom. 
What is shalom? Shalom is a holistic, whole being peace. It's a peace uh, with your fellow man. It's a peace with your surroundings. It's a peace with God. It's a peace that we can only have through a right relationship with God. And so the psalmist is praying, Lord, deliver me to your peace. Take my eyes off of all the hurt. Place it on you. To release our bitterness, we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our hurt. Place them on God. Place them on the cross. I think the pilgrims sang these songs to reorient their focus. To to direct their eyes upward. Because singing a, a psalm like this would kind of take your mind off some of those things that you've experienced. Maybe some of you know this to be an example, um, to be true in your own life. Before I tried to join the Marine Corps, my brother and I would go for runs and we would sing something called Cadence. Uh, Now, those of you that are around the military probably know what Cadence is. It's uh, songs that the military sing as they run to help them breathe. Uh, And so the the Marines would chant, my brother and I would chant things like this, uh, here we go, on the run, one mile, no good, two mile, no way, three mile, oorah, feeling good, oorah. This would help me breathe. My brother probably had me sing these so that he could stop listening to me complaining, so that he would just, (laughs) be quiet, Jonathan, sing this song. But it also helped me take my focus off myself, to lift my eyes up off the ground. It's hard to sing like this. But we can sing praises to God when we stand like this. We look up. Pilgrims sang these songs to reorient their focus. And we can too. We first, we first pray out. We pray out all of our hurt, all of our pain, and then we pray up. Pray to God. And this is a peace that we can only know through trusting in God. We can't have shalom peace without God, without Christ Jesus. And this peace is found by recognizing that before God, we all stand condemned. Before God, we're all liars. Because we, in our natural state, have rejected His Son, Christ Jesus. And so we're the worst of liars. So becoming a pilgrim is just realizing that, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my rejection of you from the day I was born to the day I die. Help me love and worship you. I trust in you, God. I believe in you. So this means that we who believe this are no better than anyone else. We're no better than than those people that have hurt us. And notice that as we begin to pray from justice to peace, we begin to be at peace. And the Holy Spirit allows us to pray psalms like Father, or songs like, Father, forgive them. Yes, I wanted judgment, I wanted justice. But one day, hopefully, I can want peace for them as well. To truly forgive them. But if we skip that first step of recognizing how bad our hurt is, that second prayer is going to be a lot harder. Now there's one thing that I have missed in this psalm. One important part. It's in verse 1. When people lie, pilgrims pray. But that's not all. 
Because when people lie, pilgrims pray, and God answers. Verse 1, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. We believe in a God who really hears our hurt, really hears our suffering, really hears it when we pray for justice and for peace. We believe in a God who answers, that can actually take uh, those painful life circumstances, those hurts, those, those deceptions that we go through and give us peace. When I went through those two experiences, you know, the, the middle school, high school girls and the, uh, the Marine Corps, I never wanted to tell anyone about those things. But with some time, some healing, some, some uh, forgiveness, some grace, I can share it now. Say, look at how good God is. That he can take circumstances that were incredibly painful and now bring us joy, bring us a good laugh. And we see this in the Psalms because although the Psalms of Ascent open as a complaint, as a lament, they don't end that way. Psalm 134 is the last one. Verse 2 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. The songs of ascent begin in sadness, but they end in joy. And your pilgrimage can as well. Your pilgrimage may be painful right now. It may be sorrowful. It may be, may be sad. But that's not how it has to continue. You can have true deliverance from those past hurts. If you trust in God, your pilgrimage can end in joy at the heavenly sanctuary at peace. And we can taste some of that peace in this life. Maybe some of you have been so hurt, you're overwhelmed with bitterness. Well, it's time to renew your pilgrimage. First, we pray that God would take all of our hurt and take the judgment. And then we pray for God's all-encompassing peace. And if you need to take a break to do this, to separate yourself from those circumstances, those people, go on vacation, take a day off, kind of be with the Lord, do it. Don't continue to, to wrestle with that thing inside your chest for the rest of your life. Take the time, journal, pray to God, give it to Him, because He knows what to do with it. Pilgrims pray for God's justice, Pilgrims pray for God's peace. You are pilgrims. Pray. Pray. And then expect God to show up with healing. Expect that God will answer. When people lie, pilgrims pray, and God answers. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those in here that have been hurt by lies, that they would pray for justice, that they would pray for your truth to shine through. They would pray for the grace of Christ Jesus to give them peace. Lord, would we all know true shalom through a right relationship with God, through a right relationship with Christ Jesus. May we truly forgive those who have hurt us. May we do so in a healthy way. To you be the glory. Amen.
Please rise for the benediction. The Lord will keep you from harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your going and coming both now and forevermore. Amen.